morning. It's great to be with all of you again. It's a joy to be back here at Providence. I came and worked as the uh, Youth and Young Adult Director uh, here for about 18 months, starting in June of 2018. And so it's a, a, a blessing to think back on all that I learned from all of you, all the opportunities you gave me to learn and to grow uh, as I've progressed in ministry. Um, so over the last th- three years, I've been working at the church I grew up in, Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church in Hanover. Um, and during that time, I've been in seminary, and I'm about two-thirds of the way through, so please pray for me as I hit that home stretch and try to get this thing done. Um, so following that, I'll be seeking ordination in the uh, Susquehanna Valley Presbytery, which is our presbytery here. I'm under care of that presbytery, and so I get to, uh, to freelance every now and again. I come visit some people I love very much uh, and offer God's Word to them. So this morning... As we uh, continue in worship, let's turn our attention to Psalm 61. Uh, You see it there in your bulletin. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. He will abide before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may pay my vows day by day. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it guides us, that you reveal yourself to us through it, that you condescend to our level, that we might understand you, that we might know you as you truly are. What we read here is not just a a summary of you, it's not an approximation of who you are, but it reveals to us who you truly are and how you relate to us. Pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to you this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning we'll be considering the fact that we can have confidence in God's protection and the protection that he offers to his people. As we read some of these psalms, growing up I would read these psalms and there's these allusions to, to military elements, a you know, tower of strength against the enemy, a fortress And sometimes I would read these phrases and I would feel somewhat disconnected from the text because I would think, well, you know, I'm growing up in South Central Pennsylvania and I'm homeschooled and I got out of bed at about 11 o'clock this morning. Uh, So there's not much here that I'm relating to in terms of this desperation cry. And so instead, I I would think that this psalm is more applicable to to men who are perhaps in the military or or facing physical violence, those who are in war-torn countries, things of that nature, um, and as I was preparing this week, uh, on, on June 6th, we remembered the, the 79th anniversary of D-Day. And my grandfather was one of those men on that fateful day who stormed the beaches of Normandy. He turned 18 on December 24th of 1943, and three months later enlisted into the U.S. Army as a private, and then less than three months after that, arrived at Normandy. And as I was thinking about that, the, the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan came to my, to my head, and I thought of these men that would land on these landing crafts on the beach, and they, they rushed out in a hail of fire, um, 
mortar fire and, and machine gun fire and artillery. I thought of my grandfather who lost some of his best friends on that beach that day. And I thought of the cries of desperation they, they must have been offering to the Lord at that moment for protection, for safety in the midst of that. And so when I read these sorts of psalms, I think to myself, you know, have I been in that place of crying out for utter desperation? Perhaps, you know, my situation in life is not really worthy of God's attention. But the reality is, is that as we read this psalm, as we'll see, we'll see that God hears all of us and that in each of our need, in each of our place of of want and desperation, God comes to us. He answers us as he answers a child. And we see this because as David is crying out to God, he does not cry out to God uh, for military aid. He doesn't cry out to God for, for better weapons or better armor or better commanders. But instead, he says this, Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. For the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In these verses, he is crying out to God. He is asking God with expectancy, give heed to my prayer. Perhaps you've heard Vince explain that, that Hebrew word there, heed. To take heed is not just to listen, but it's to listen with the intent of acting. It's to listen so intently that it's going to result in action. And so David is saying, God, hear me and act. And he's praying with this sense of expectancy that God would hear his prayers, that God would act on his behalf. But as he goes, he's asking not just for protection in his immediate circumstance, but that he would lead him to himself. As we consider David's context, David is likely, we don't know the exact context of the psalm, but David is either running, he's either recalling a time when he was fleeing from Saul, or he's in a moment of some battle that he is waging against God's enemies, or he's in exile from his son Absalom. Um, so no matter what the context is, there's this, this place of physical need that he's in. He's hiding in caves. He's hiding in the wilderness. He, he doesn't have the supplies he needs. He doesn't have the people he needs. He's in this place of utter insecurity. But notice that as he cries out to God with expectancy, he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And that, that phrase seems odd to us, uh, perhaps. Lead me to the rock. Why does he want to be led to a rock? But as, you read, as we read in our opening verses this morning, um, this phrase, the rock, is often used in the Old Testament to refer to God himself. And so as David is in this place of need, as his heart is faint, as he's in this place of, of depression, in this place of anxiety, in this place of need, feeling that very acutely, His response is not simply to get more stuff to fix it. He's not trying to alleviate the symptoms immediately, but instead he is calling on God to bring him to God himself. He views God as being the ultimate solution to his need in this moment. And so as David's heart is faint, the thing that he asks for is that he would be led to God. He sees that the strength that he needs is not found in anything but God himself. And so, friends, we can cry out to God in a similar way. As we believe in Jesus Christ by faith, as we call on his name, we can call on his name with expectancy. Expecting that God would actually answer us. Expecting that God would move for his people. 
believing that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And then as God answers, as God gives himself to us, we can receive strength in those moments. I know in my life there's, there's often times when I sin or have a, a difficulty in my life, um, and rather than reach out to somebody else, rather than even to reach out to God in prayer, I instead turn inward. And I think I can just buckle down and deal with this myself. This, this thing that I'm working through is not that big of a deal. God surely doesn't want to hear about this. And there's these times when we have this sort of thinking where we think that, that God might not actually care. That when God hears us cry to him, he doesn't listen intently. He doesn't listen in order to respond. But he does. He does that for each of us. And so we consider David's example and we can follow this and we see this in Hebrews 10 where we're told that Jesus is our great high priest who is forever interceding for us before the Father, that God hears and he answers us. And so how is it that David can have this sense of expectancy? How can it be that he runs to God for his strength, that he's not running just to find the things to meet his immediate circumstantial needs, but that he wants God himself? Ultimately, because he trusts God. So friends, as David trusts God, we can trust God. And And the foundation for this trust is this, for you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. As David considers his need, he remembers all that God has done for him. Remembers perhaps the time when he is in the field with his sheep and God gives him the ability to slay lions and bears as they come after the flock under his care. Perhaps he thinks of the moment with David and Goliath as he conquers the enemies of Israel. Perhaps he's thinking of when he goes against the Philistines and returns victorious time and time again. Perhaps it's he's remembering the victory over Saul and that God has established him as king. But either way, David is remembering these times of crucial importance in his life that God showed up time and time again that God offered him protection, that God was a refuge for him, that as he fled, as he, as he was in the wilderness, as he was in need, that God provided for each of his needs all along the way. And I think this is one of our difficulties when we, don't, um, when we go through something that is troublesome for us, is that we forget so quickly the ways that God provides for us. We forget so quickly all that he has done. Um, when I was in a senior year of high school, my, my father had been diagnosed with ALS about uh, five years before that, Lou Gehrig's disease. And he had been on a state waiver to provide health workers for him. Um, and so we had full-time nursing coverage for him. He was totally paralyzed, unable to speak. Um, and we were able to care for him at home for the entirety of this illness. Um, But we were on this waiver to provide us with uh, these necessary workers. And my senior year of high school, that waiver was revoked. So we no longer had the waiver to receive that extra assistance, which meant that our family was on the hook for about $40,000 to provide just for that year, the rest of that year, uh, for health workers, for my dad, for nurses. And so this happens, and there's this instant like, oh, Okay, how's this going to work? Anxiety wells up within us in our family. I mean, as a 17-year-old, I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have to you know, get a job. I'm going to have to help work for this. You know, let's, let's figure this out. And 
And there's this, this wonderful thing that happened in God's providence called the Ice Bucket Challenge. Maybe some of you guys remember that. Um, I remember many people complained about it, but uh, it ended up being actually a great thing because the ALS Foundation, their, uh, their donations uh, more than quadrupled within a year because of that challenge. So that's a plug for that. Um, but we held a big ice bucket challenge at our house. We had basically most of our church, 50, 60 people came, and we, we put it up online, and we did a GoFundMe. And within several weeks, uh, we had raised $60,000 for my dad's care. You know, and so in, this, in these moments when there's this acute need that shows up and we're like, you know, we're going to have to you know, do a third mortgage on the house to help pay for my dad's care and then we're going to still have this expense next year. How is this all going to keep happening? But then we start remembering, you know, my dad was, when he was diagnosed, he was given two years to live. He died at nine and a half years after his diagnosis. God prolonged his life. God gave protection for him. My mom didn't finish her college degree because they got married. My dad graduated, then they got married. And yet, after my dad was disabled and unable to work anymore, my mom was able to get a job that paid more than what my dad ever made as a public school teacher. And she was able to work at home and care for my dad all through this whole thing. And it's just, as we think about it, it's like, why were we ever anxious? God has provided every step of the way for our family. And that's just one slice, right? That's just the financial side of it. There's so much more that God did to provide for us spiritually and relationally all along that way. But we so often in these moments of crises, we forget who God really is. We forget that he's been a refuge for us. And David says, has this expectancy to call out to God, this expectancy to receive strength from God because he remembers what God has done for him. And as he remembers that, again, his focus is not so much on getting from God. I find that in our American culture, as we approach Christianity sometimes, we're very focused on getting, receiving from God. And God gives us more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever ask for, right? But oftentimes the focus is, well, we, we need to make sure we don't go to hell. We need to make sure that, that we live healthy, prosperous lives. We, we want to make sure our children are in the faith. We want to make sure that, that you know, we live in a peaceful time and all these things. And, and so we're, we're hoping to, to get things from God. And, and those are all good things that, that God might give us. Um, but they're not the central focus of the Christian faith. And we can get lost in these secondary things. And David so helpfully refocuses it because he shows us what the, the main point of this is. He says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. As he's considering his need, he's looking ahead to the ultimate thing that would um, solve these issues, and it's the presence of God. He desires to dwell with God forever. And as we think of our own confessional standards, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, how does that start? Question one, what's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify and to enjoy God, to be with him. And we see that this is David's emphasis. As David is, is praying and crying out to God, he's saying, I want to be with you. Shelter me in your wings. And there's this element where we, I, I consider this, and I see that he's looking ahead to that new Jerusalem, even as we are. In Revelation 22 says this. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as a crystal, 
Coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bond servants will serve with him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any nights, and there will no and there will not have any need of the light of a lamp nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sends angels to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. David is looking ahead to that day when he will dwell in the presence of God forever. That is the thing he is centering his prayer on. That is the thing he is most focused on here and ought to be ours. And, and we can trust God because he has been a refuge for us. We can desire to dwell with God because of that character, because he has been a refuge for us. In addition, as, and the question that comes up in my head, at least as I read through this, is how then can we trust God? Right? Because he's been a refuge, okay, and we can desire to dwell with God because we're trusting God, and we can cry out to God because we trust God. But the foundation for all of this is the fact that God actually hears us. That when we cry out to God, he listens to us. In verse 5, For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. You'll prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. This phrase, for you have heard my vows, there's an element of this where we don't really know what, um, what these vows can entail. We don't know exactly what David was promising. We don't really know what the exact structure was. But we know that, that David is swearing obedience, swearing faithfulness, swearing that he would do something for God. But there's this implicit reality that as he swears to God, he is professing his faith to God. He is saying, I believe that you are the true and the living God. I believe that you have the strength, you have the power to meet me in my need. I know that you are who you say you are. Therefore, I'm vowing these things to you. And, he, and he's confident that God has heard him. That he has seen that he has made this profession of faith. And this is necessary for all of us as we consider our need for God's protection. In our lives, we, we come upon various moments where we feel that acute need of, of protection, where we recognize our frailty, where we recognize our weakness, our inability to save ourselves. Maybe that's our sin. We come to an end of ourselves in our sin, or maybe it's a, a financial reality or a relational reality that drives us to a place of desperation. But we come to this point where we realize that we cannot be our own saviors. We do not have what it takes to protect ourselves. And God uses these moments frequently to drive us to himself, to draw us by his spirit so that we might trust him, that we might have faith. And this morning, friends, um, I don't assume that everybody in this room believes. I don't assume that everybody in this room has faith. But God, this morning, as you're hearing this, he is calling you to believe. And, as, and those of you who do believe, he's calling you to have a deeper faith. He's seeking that you might trust him more fully, that you might delight in his presence more fully. In Romans 10, um, he says, and I learned this from Daryl, um, 
that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If that is your confession of faith this morning, then the Lord hears you. The Lord gives his abundant protection to you. He welcomes you into his presence that you might have the delights and the peace of it. And ultimately, this is the inheritance that David is sure that he has. Perhaps sometimes as you read through the, the, the Old Testament, it can, be, um, it can seem as though the ultimate inheritance that the Israelites were, were seeking was just the land, uh, the promised land. But as we consider the Psalms, as we consider the life of David, um, it becomes clear that, and Hebrews um, 11 also helps us, Hebrews, uh, yeah, Hebrews 11, 16 helps us with this as well, and it shows us that, that the true inheritance that they sought, all the, the patriarchs, Abraham, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all the way up to now, the true inheritance was not the land that they sought, but it was instead the New Jerusalem. It was that passage in Revelation 22 that I just read. It was the spiritual blessings that are given to all who believe in Ephesians 2. That was the true inheritance that they sought. And David is assured, feels this sense of assurance that he has received this from God. That God has heard his profession of faith. That God has given him the inheritance of those who fear the name of God. And so friends, if God hears you, if God has heard your profession of faith, He's given you an inheritance, an inheritance that can't be taken away from you, an inheritance that that ends in glory in his presence for all of eternity, in utter peace, where sin and death will be no more, where every tear will be wiped away. Trust in him. He hears you. And the foundation for everything we've talked about is that God is faithful to his promises. David continues, he says, you will prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. He will abide before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. And it seems that, Paul, that uh, David here is turning to refer to himself in the third person. Um, that he's, he's expressing his utter confidence that God will prolong his life. That God will maybe extend it to uh, as, as many generations, or you know, that might be him thinking of his, his dynasty, it might be of him thinking of his time with the Lord. But he has this sure hope that God will do these things. He will abide before God forever. You will prolong. His years will be as many. He will abide. Is this trust. And how can he have this trust? Well, as, as we consider this passage what comes to mind is the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, where God promises that someone from the line of David will always sit on the throne. That God promised him that his lineage would be for generations into eternity. And so David here seems to be recalling the promises that God made to him. And David is saying, I trust that you are faithful. I believe that you are faithful. I believe that the promise you made to me is going to be true, that you will fulfill this promise. And in my place of insecurity, my my place of weakness, my place of doubting whether or not this whole thing is going to work out, I trust that you are going to fulfill your promise to me. So we see that God fulfills promises individually, but perhaps what David was 
even unaware of in this, as he wrote this psalm, is its allusion to the fact that the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant was not in David, it was not in Solomon, it wasn't in Rehoboam, it was in Christ. Christ, the son of David, born in the town of David. He is the one who sits on the throne forever and ever in the presence of God. He is the one who sits on the throne, who intercedes for us, who rules and reigns over all of creation, who works all things together for our good, who holds all things together by his own power. That is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. And we see that, that as David is, 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 is believing in the promise that God made to him directly, we see that God is also fulfilling as we venture into the New Testament, as we um, see the life of Christ, as we read the epistles, we see that God's promise is not just to individuals, but to generations. It's not just to David, but it's to you and I. That God provided the true and the better David the David that would come and pay for our sins, who would rule and reign perfectly on our behalf, who would wipe away sin, that he would cleanse us and give us his righteousness and welcome us as sons and daughters of God. And the result of this, friends, is that we can respond in praise. As David concludes the psalm, he says, So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may pay my vows day by day. The result of his utter assurance in the faithfulness of God is that he erupts in song, that he sings the praises of God for his faithfulness, for what he has done for him. That I may pay my vows day by day. And what he means by that is it's not that he's you know, having to pay off God's faithfulness somehow. But in other words, he's saying, I'm displaying my faith in your ability to keep your promises. I'm displaying my faith day by day by uttering worship to you, by living in submission to you, by delighting in your presence. My faith is displayed each day. And so the right response to the faithfulness of God, the right response to the fact that he takes heed to our prayers, the right response to the fact that we can trust him, that he hears us, that he's faithful to his promises, is that we can respond in praise which is ultimately a response of faith. And so friends, this morning, um, we can have confidence in the protection of God. That the ultimate protection he offers us is not just this earthly protection and the, and the things that we need, even though he surely gives us those things. But it's ultimately in the eternal protection that he gives us in Jesus Christ. In his death, his resurrection. Would you believe in him this morning? Would you have confidence in the protection of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us that you delights in us, that though we wander and stray, you draw us back to yourself, you seek us out when we flee from your presence. Teach us to delight in you. Teach us to come to you with every need that we have. Teach us to cry out to you with expectancy, knowing that you will answer us, knowing that you will provide us with the strength that we need. Forgive us for the ways that we have failed to trust that. May you give us joy and delight as we consider your presence with us this morning. We ask these things in the name of Jesus.